0: All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 14. Lord, as we open your word, and we have your... uh, We've been blessed to sing to you, and and, uh, our hearts are brought into that place where we can receive from you. We pray that... We'd be open and receptive to everything you have for us tonight. That your word would speak to our hearts. That you would have some verses just pop off the page like you do sometimes. We just uh, we want to give you our full attention now. And so, God, um, pray for the gift of teaching. We pray that we'd be able to have ears to hear, humble hearts to receive, and um, that we'd learn. As Paul is trying to teach this church how to have a an organized church service, not be so chaotic. Help us to take that to heart in our own lives, Lord, to be organized with our walk with you, to be deliberate, intentional. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul has taken us through these last two chapters, chapters 12 and 13, to explain to us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how a church should function and operate with these gifts. And it's very biblical, obviously. It's in the Bible. It's very simple. I don't know why we argue about so many of these things. That's how it started, though, in chapter 12 was, I don't want you to be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit. And so he's been very careful to take the Corinthian church and us through what it means and what they're for and how to use them and not to neglect them and to not forbid them. Um, And yet that's what we do a lot of times in church because we're fearful, because we don't take the time to read. And just to receive whatever he has for us in his word. I mean, if we all read these three chapters, none of the church would have a problem with any of the gifts, you would think. But we do. Chapter 14 speaks of tongues and prophecies. My focus is on those two because that seems to be the most confusion in the church service. That's the point. He picks these two mainly to teach organ, organization and, and to have an organized service, not, not necessarily because he wants to talk about those two gifts, although we do learn a lot from them uh, from this chapter. He wants us to pick up on these two things that seem to be unorganized in this church. The Corinthian church loved tongues. They loved other languages, and they were very vocal with them publicly, which is fine, but there was no interpretation um, believers and unbelievers alike would come into these church services, and all the believers were jockeying for position. Whoever spoke the most tongues, and I, I would guess the loudest tongues, as competitions t- tend to be that way. The unbelievers came in who were seeking help, who were seeking salvation, who were seeking a way to be forgiven, were left out. That's the point. Paul says, You're leaving out the unbelievers. The unbelievers have come in to worship and you're leaving them out. You're worshiping. Great. Good for you. But you're leaving them out of the process. And so they'd have to sit there and wait till everybody was done doing their thing. And then maybe if they had time, they'd get into the word of God, which changes lives. Never forget that. That's one thing that stuck with me my whole life. And I've, I've taken it to heart is the word of God is what changes people. It isn't a philosophy and it isn't a self-help book. I think I've said that about a billion times from up here. But it is the power of God. It is his Holy Spirit's sword. And it's what he uses to come into the hearts of men and women and change them. And so if we ever get to that place where the gifts of the Spirit, we were so busy with them that we never got to the Word of God, then we've really not had a church service. and We've really not had worship at all. It's the Word of God that changes us. I love singing and I love worship. I could have done this worship set all night long. I don't think, you know, you could get carried away with that. But the point of it is to get us into a place where we can receive God's word. And so if we never get to God's word, then we worship. And so Paul tries to organize this church. And it's a tough letter to write to them because they were very proud of the way they were. They were very Pentecostal, we would call it open, and, and I'm all for that, and, and you never want to quench the Spirit, but in the process of being so over, overly Pentecostal, in the sense that they were so unorganized in the use of the spiritual gifts, they actually did quench the Spirit. The Spirit couldn't speak, couldn't use His sword, couldn't change lives, and so Paul tries to correct that. We left off last week with faith, hope, and love, but these three, the greatest of these is love. Love is the only way to operate the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, and so with the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you can operate the gifts properly. It's sort of like having a driver's license, I suppose. You know, I could let some of my younger kids, when they were five and six, drive the car, but it wouldn't have been good for anybody else. You know, but it had gone. You know, there needs to be some instruction, some training, some discipline, some guidance as to which way and how and what pedal and which. What speed, maybe? That's, that's probably still an issue. I'm not so sure. I'm not to throw my kids under the bus, but I'm sure it's still difficult. Well, the first Corinthian church is pedal to the metal. You know, uh, pedestrians be damned <laughs> kind of thing. And it's a dangerous place. He says, I want you to pursue love in verse 1 of chapter 14 and desire spiritual gifts. That's an order, not a choice. Both are necessary. I want you to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, prophecy, we have this idea of some hermit coming out of a cave every once in a while. and telling everybody, thus saith the Lord, doomsday is coming. You know, uh, we think of Jonah, you know, 40 days till judgment. And then he goes back into, you know, underneath his, underneath his little tree that God made for him. And, uh, And, and look out, you know, it was usually doom and gloom from these guys. Prophecy is more than that, and he'll explain that here in a minute. He'll actually define it for us here. Prophecy is far more than just uh, telling you what the future is going to hold. Okay? I want you to prophesy. If that's the gifts you want to desire, and anything, we want to desire the best gifts, but we leave that up to God. Prophecy, Paul says, should be at the top of our list. to Be able to prophesy. For he who speaks at a tongue or an unknown language does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. That's prophecy. Those three things. Those who prophesy, edify, they exhort, and they bring comfort. Some would say right now, as we teach the word of God, although teaching is a gift also, this is prophecy. We're getting comforted by God's word here. So we hope the gift of prophecy is in operation in all of our lives. But there are times when we have people come up to us for help, or we see someone in need and we share some words with them. We hope that's prophecy, comfort, edification to build someone up. Paul says, That's what I want to see in the church. But that goes against the grain of the Corinthian believer. The tongues is what brings the spotlight to them, and the loudest tongue brings the brightest spotlight. To come to church with the intent deliberately to edify and build up other people takes a spotlight off you and puts a spotlight on them. Paul is bringing humility to this church. It's a very important aspect of our walk. Humility, although it makes us feel low at times. Because not all humility makes us feel low, but a lot of times it does. It brings us down a notch or two, puts us in a place that maybe we didn't think we were. And then God can build on that, but he can't build upon pride. And so Paul's saying, if you want to build this church, if you want it to be a strong church, a functioning church, we have to get rid of the pride and get into the humility side of things. And that's what you do. Pray that you might be able to bless other people when you come to church. That's a graduation ceremony as far as I'm concerned. We have graduation ceremonies all the time now. You go from third grade to fourth grade, there's a graduation ceremony. I don't, I don't know when that started. Whatever. <laughs> Great. But for me, when the believer stops coming to church to see if they're going to be blessed, or if the music was the music they liked, or the teaching was the way it was presented, was appealing to them. Or people said hi to them and shook their hand and made sure that the water was cold for them and the coffee was prepared and the creamer that they like was there and there were stir sticks and there was toilet paper in the... When they stop coming for that and they start coming to see if they can help and be a blessing and make sure that other people are taken care of, that's a graduation ceremony. That's a wonderful place to be. That's humility. That's not thinking of yourself. That's thinking of others. How can I help? How can I be a part? How can I serve? not be served. Paul says, I want you to edify people. I want you to exhort. I want you to comfort. Now, verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, which you need to do at times. No doubt about that. He's not saying choose tongues or prophecy. He's saying both because tongues edifies you. I don't know how to pray. What is tongues? That's probably the biggest tongues is a weird word. We don't necessarily use that all the time. But we do, like, if you go to, uh, you know, I think one of the language programs is Babel.com. Bad name for a company, by the way, but okay, (laughs) Babel.com. The whole point of the Tower of Babel was to divide the languages, not to bring us all together, but okay. Or Rosetta Stone, that's another great language program or whatever. Um, We understand that, you know. Well, that's God's version of that. It's a spiritual gift that he gives you. Here's a language. You don't have to go through Rosetta Stone or Babel. You just do it. Now, here's the thing with it you don't understand what's being said either. You're speaking it because it's the Holy Spirit speaking through you in this language to God. It's not to men. You don't prophesy with tongues to people. You praise God and you worship God in prayer with this other language. I don't know how to pray. I don't know if you've ever been in that position before. I know I need to pray. I don't know what to say anymore. I'm kind of lost for words, and you kind of groan. Oh, Lord, you know. I wouldn't necessarily call that tongues, but if you do that long enough, pretty soon all of a sudden, you'll find yourself in that place where the Holy Spirit is praying for you. I don't know how to pray, but you do. Would you pray? Would you intercede for me? Would you say the things I need to say? Would you pray the prayers I need to prayer? And it builds you up. It edifies you. It also, in a public setting, though, if you're not careful, can glorify you, which is what Paul's trying to avoid here. The glorification of saints over the glorification of God. So there's nothing wrong with these languages, these other tongues. It edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So, if there's a public tongue spoken or another language spoken publicly, a prayer to God, we pray for the gift of interpretation that the rest of the group can say, amen. But if you pray in another language, I'm not going to say amen. I have no idea what you prayed. You could be demon-possessed for all I know. You know, I don't know what you said in that language. I didn't understand it. But if there's an interpretation, amen. Otherwise, it's best left to yourself because it's for you. It's between you and God. He says, and I want you to notice this as we've already gone through the first five verses, he toggles between prayer and speaking of tongues. There's that argument in the church. And I I hate to bring these things up because most people don't know that the church argues about this stuff. And I hate to be the one to say, guess what else we argue about? I'd rather you be ignorant of it all. But that is one of the debates. Maybe there is a prayer language that every single person in the world gets. And this is the Pentecostal view uh, more of a hyper-Pentecostal view, that everybody has a prayer language, you're just not exercising it. But you have it, so you need to work at it and exercise it and get it out of you, kind of thing. And so you have that doctrine, and if you're filled with the Spirit, then you do have a prayer language, and you will speak in tongues, and you just need... Paul doesn't make a distinction between those two things. Prayer language everybody gets, they say. Speaking in tongues is a whole different gift. That's for individuals, and some get it and some don't. Well, Paul toggles between these two. When you pray in the Spirit, when you speak in tongues, he doesn't make a distinction between the two. So I don't think we need to argue about it. I think it's, I think it's clear in the text, but they won't take my word. And nobody's going to watch this online and say, oh, thank you, J.D., it cleared it all up. The Christendom is saved. You know, no. They'll still argue about it. That isn't why Paul's talking about this. Chapter 14 is in a debate as to whether tongues are for today, whether praying in the Spirit is is good or bad or ugly. He's saying, no, I want to bring order to the church. You guys are excited about your tongues. That's great. But keep that to yourself. When you come into a public setting, I I want you to prophesy. Say something in English or in Hebrew or in whatever language that that church is, so that everybody can be edified because we come together to worship together. Not individual little church systems in every pew or in every chair, you know. That's the idea. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he. Now there he's appealing to their pride a little bit. Anyway, prophesies are even better than the people that speak with tongues. Guess what's gonna happen next Sunday? You know? I've got a prophecy, I got a prophecy, you know. That's just how we are. I hope not. But that can be the case sometimes. Um, just a very simple point and he writes a whole chapter on it because it's a very big issue in this church now i don't know that we have that problem in our church if anything we're on the other side of the road unfortunately We get bit, and that's what it is. We talk about that snake that bites us. No matter what church you went to, you get bit by that snake, and you jump clear over doctrinally to the other side of the road, far, 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 far away from it. And then some people get bit the other way, and they go clear over to this side of the road of the doctrine, and they're clear, absolutely, the gifts are not for today. And then over here, it's like, we should do the gifts all the time and never ever, you know, and they've got these strange viewpoints that are so extreme when God's like, no, 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 I want it all. It's all good. We just have to do it carefully and in order and decently so that it makes sense so it's organized so that it's a blessing for everybody involved we don't have to go to those extremes but we do i the first church i went to was uh, eagles nest out in california and uh they were a small small church but there's a bunch of them all over the place and they're um they're interesting um But I was brand new believing, you know, brand new believer, just starting to go. I mean, I was at church, whoa, you know, on a Sunday, it's early. And I walked in and, and we sat down and for the first 15 minutes, they all spoke in tongues. I mean, and yelled in tongues. I didn't know there was such a thing as tongues. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, I mean, are we in Koreatown? What is going on here? Are we in, you know? I across the border, I don't understand what's going on here. Are there gonna be interpreters or sign language? I didn't know, and I, I look around and nobody's looking at each other and there's no guy up front. They're all just, yeah, I was doing their thing. I'm like, I gotta get out of here and I turn around. And there's two elders by the the door I came in, and they're up there, yeah, right in the way, I'm like, how do I get past these guys? you know, I wanted to run for it. it scared me to death. and that that moment, what caused me to go clear, clear over to this side of the road. Okay, no, that was not God at all. When Jenny and I first went to Omaha, we went church hunting. We went to a church. I don't remember what that big one was. Not a big one, but typical A-frame. You know, I've been around 120 years or so, and I think they were really excited some young people come in the door, you know, kind of thing. Well, they were clear over here. And it was very liturgical. Very Past the plate. Candles light. And I'm like, okay, you know, no life at all. And that would make you want to go to the other side of the road. Well, there's a balance. There's a balance. Be in the middle. Um, God wants order. He also wants supernatural gifts to be given to us. Great. There's nothing wrong with that. And this, Paul's trying to bring them to that that place of understanding. And it's a tough letter to write. Because the last thing you want them to do is to stop. We just wanted an order. That's all he's trying to do. Verse 6. But now, after he clarifies all those things, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? That's how they got everybody on board. That's how you communicated on the battlefield. They didn't have calm. That's what they used. They used trumpets. You know, da 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 Everybody knows what that is, right? Charge, right? That's the idea. Well, if you got some like, new guy on the bugle who can't do that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you just hear this, you know, like if someone stepped on a goose. No one's charging. No one's going anywhere is the idea. So Paul's just saying, even though, you know, and we talked about this, you, a seventh grade recital is a little different than the Philharmonic, you know. It's, I, 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 think that's, I think that's Beethoven. I'm not sure, though, at the, at the recital. But you go to the Philharmonic and you're, you're caught up. You're totally blessed. You don't hear a mistake that's everybody's in tune and it's going like it's supposed to. And, and that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit and love is a philharmonic, you know. That's all Paul's trying to get across. You guys have got the instruments. I'm so glad. Now let's learn how to play them, you know. So likewise, you... Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? And I take that to heart for teaching, too. I think teaching is very important. I think you need to be able to teach clearly. And I know I'm not clear all the time, but I do my best. Sometimes it's eighth grade recital up here. I get that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit takes over and it's the Philharmonic. But the, the intent is, the hope is, that it's clearly understood by the time the teaching's over. Oh, I get that chapter now. I understand that. That's the hope. I think this applies to everything we do. I think the kids need that in their classrooms back there. I think a teacher needs to take time. We have curriculum. We have guidelines. We have some crafts. We've got some coloring pages. We've got a suite of information and and materials that you can use. But the teacher, the bottom line is, has to read the text, understand what the text is, and say, what is the best, most clear way for me to give this information to these little kids at their age level? That's all it is. And I think a coloring page will work here, but I'm going to add cotton balls to it or whatever, or no coloring page. I think they should be playing with Legos when this happens. And we're going to, or I want them to sit and listen with their eyes closed. And then we're going to open our eyes and do whatever's the clearest way to get the message across them, not get through the curriculum But how do I impart this beautiful word of God's to these little ears? I think it needs to be this it's by the Spirit. Therefore, for you will speak into the air if it's not understood. How is it going to be known? For, verse 10, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. And none of them was, was without significance. They're all very important. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, and they were, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. It's just changing their heart attitude. I don't want you to stop using the gifts. I just want you to do it for the edification of somebody else and not yourself. It's not an and or thing. It doesn't have to be a this or that. It's both. Just do it differently. To be a foreigner, we can do that even in our own language. When I, I find myself doing that all the time. Um, I'm having to find new ways of saying the old things. Uh, some of our hymns, you know, we, do, we still do hymns at times. Um, some of the terminology that we use in those hymns is, if you're not a Christian, you don't know what they're talking about. You know, you have to be careful about that. Cause we call it, as a joke, we call it Christianese. You know, it's our own little language, you know. Uh, an unbeliever comes in and says, well, let, let us pray for you. And we, we hold hands around them. We say, Lord, we just pray a hedge of protection around it. What are you talking about? You know, shrubbery? It, to us, we know. But to an unbeliever, it's like a hedge, you know, um, but there's lots of things that we do. Oh, Lord, I just pray that we're, you know, we're born again. Well, what does that mean? Well, you kind of got to have to go through John 3 with them for them to understand what born again means. You're born in the flesh, but you need to be born in the spirit. Your spirit is not alive right now. It's died. That's what he meant. You will die if you eat this fruit. You're, you're born this way. You've got body and soul, but you don't have, you're you not alive in the spirit. That has to be revived. You have to be born again in order to have fellowship with God. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, and yours isn't alive yet. So we need to talk about that, and you need to be born again. Using words and and different ways to help people to understand so that they're not a foreigner in the Bible study, in the worship service, wherever. We want them to be included and feel like they can understand. Um, I think of when you get a job for the first time your first two weeks, you're like a pig on roller skates there, you know? It's like, I have no idea what's going on, you know? I'm just running around with my head cut off. I think I've been out that door and in that door 57 times, and I still don't know why I go in and out the door, you know, kind of thing. I don't know how to run the copier. I don't know how to fry whatever or get that food ready or the placement of that. It's just a horrible experience. Nobody likes the first two weeks of the job. But after a while, you get into the rhythm of it. You understand what they're asking you, you know? You get it. Paul says, make it easy on them. Don't make them feel like a foreigner when they come into your worship services. It's uncomfortable and awkward for them as it is. Make them feel comfortable. Verse 13. Therefore, because you're supposed to seek the edification of others, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. That's great. We just talked about that. You pray in the Spirit, but I want you to pray with understanding also need to do both. Verse 18, I thank my God. I speak with tongues. So he's toggled there. You see that? We're just talking about prayer. and He says, speak. He's not making a distinction between those two things. It's the same gift. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And of course that makes sense. In a group setting, what difference does it make? Great. Good job. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. We didn't. I mean, can you imagine me getting up here and just speaking in tongues for an hour and then saying, oh, "Amen," you know, let's go home. You're all like, what was that? What a complete waste of time. I mean, I'm glad he had a great time up there. It sounds like he was completely edified and totally blessed by his tongues. I don't even know what happened. You know, that's all you talk about at brunch. You know, you go to A&G's or you go to some restaurants. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Well, that's what it was like. These poor people. And Paul's like, just speak. It's five words that they can understand is far more beneficial than this gibberish that you're sharing. Now, verse 20. Brethren. He's toning it down a little bit. You can see him get excited. Okay, now, brothers. Brothers. All right, we're brothers. Do not be children in understanding. I laugh because that's a, that's a tough thing to say to somebody. You know, Jerry, Jerry. Don't be immature. You know, it's a little <laughs> condescending. It's like, uh, <laughs> Jerry's like, I'm not listening to you anymore. But that's, that's how he writes. I like that. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. And the law it is written with many of other tongues and other lips. I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those (laughs) who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You know? Now, some people don't understand how that ties together. Now, wait, you just said that the gift of tongues is a sign to unbelievers. So when they come in, why wouldn't they be astonished and say, the Lord dwells here? Because that's what the Corinthian church thought. These unbelievers are coming in and they're going, this is the power of God manifest in front of me. That's the difficulty people have. And they say, no, 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 no. They need to come in to understand the signs are for the unbelievers. So you hear the word of God, you hear it taught. And the gift of tongues comes into their life. They begin to pray in the Spirit. And they feel, it. oh, oh, it's a gift. The Holy Spirit's not just, this isn't just a self-help book. It isn't just a philosophy. It isn't like those other churches or temples that we passed by on the way in to this Corinthian church. This place is different. And now that I have this gift of the Holy Spirit, I realize he's alive. He's in me. This is wonderful, you know. But if you begin to start the service off with all these tongues, they're going to think you're out of your mind. Verse 24, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That's amazing. That happens a lot. We've got a couple that comes in, they're they're on Sundays, so they don't come here on Wednesdays so we can talk about them they're not here. But they come in and every church service afterwards like, how'd you know we were coming? What are you talking about? He goes, well, that was for us. See you next Sunday. And they walked out. Like the Lord just really got into their heart. I'm like, well, you know, of course you don't plan that way. And of course you don't teach that way. You don't think, I think someone else is in the crowd. Mm -hmm. Well, when they're here, I'm going to add this to the sermon and that'll really teach them, you know, kind of thing. I've thought about doing that a few times, but I didn't. the Lord intervenes and stops me. Um, no, it's that moment when you're sitting there and you're saying, how is it that they're talking exactly about the exact thing I was praying about the other day? Well, that's, that's not something that I've done or anybody else has done, except the Holy Spirit is, is bringing things together for you because it'll go beyond that. It won't be something you prayed and then the teaching really hit on that for some reason that's where we were in the in the in the text. And then you'll hear something on the radio and someone will say something at high V and it all comes together and you're like, "Oh, wow. I mean, wow. God is really trying. He's laying it on heavy today." And you start realizing the Holy Spirit God is speaking to you, you know? That's a miracle. It's amazing. And that's what Paul's saying. When you begin to share the word of God in a, in a clear way with people being able to understand your language in their language so they can hear it, they'll begin to fall on their face and say, I had no idea. How does God convict me? How did he touch that? Area? I came in with quiet and nobody knew my problems. And I came in and that's what the sermon was about. Whoa. Yeah. Church is supposed to be whoa every, every time, every single time. God is doing a work. You want people to say that. Corinthian Church wants people to say that when they come to their church. God is truly among you. They thought it was because they spoke in tongues, and he's saying, "No, it's because the word that was shared was quickened to people's heart." And there's one of those terms they use: quickened to the heart. It just hits. It hits funny, you know. It hits. We'd say maybe too close to home. When exactly what what we mean is, it hit my heart. It hit me. It hit me hard. It's exactly where I am, you know. That's what he wants. That's what he's hoping them for them to strive for. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Do them all. But let it be done for the edification of others. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, uh, at the most three, And each in turn, not over the top of each other. The Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt himself, you know? So he's giving them some instructions here, Bob. Paul's just being too legalistic. No, he's bringing order. Fine, speak in tongues. But two, fine, three at the most. He's putting limits on it. And he says, each in turn. And then, and then, you don't go on from there and let one interpret. Wait for the interpretation so we can all say amen. So there's supposed to be that order in the church when they come together. It's not every Sunday. It's maybe at an afterglow or at their moments of worship or whatever. But someone speaks in a tongue. We say that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Does anybody have an interpretation for that? Yes, I believe this is what was said. I believe this is the an interpretation. And sometimes we get confused and we give a prophecy instead, um, and say, "Well, God wants us to know that He loves us and He cares for us." You know this in. Okay, well that's a prophecy. That's not tongues. Tongues is to God. So you spoke to us. So that's not that's probably a prophecy now. Does anybody still have an interpretation for those tongues? It gets kind of awkward when you're doing these things, but you've you've got to do it. It's gotta be awkward. You've got to take the time and let the interpretation come and wait for these things. That's how we learn, you know. It's like a kid learning to walk sometimes. You know, they fall and they stumble and they make mistakes, but we don't tell them, well, quit, don't ever try that again, you know. Walkings for the birds. I'll just carry you. You know, no. We we get back up and we keep going forward with it. These gifts are amazing, and sometimes you'll do it wrong, and that's okay. I'd rather you try. You know, I'd rather you be open to it and saying, you know, fear of failure is is it really cripples people. And um, I tell you, farm story alert. But I mean. <laughs> there's been a year of successes and interesting things happen and a lot of failures, but it doesn't mean we're going to pack it up and move to downtown Kansas city, you know, give up this, forget that. We're going, you know, deluxe apartment in the sky. That's where we're going to move to. You know, the old people know what I'm talking about. young people are like, what are you talking about? The Jeffersons. That is a show. All right. I'm going to move down. No, no, we're going to try again. You lose a calf. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to AI another cow. And then we're going to also buy a bull and and, and see, and, and we're going to keep moving forward with this. And yeah, it's new. And yeah, we're going to make mistakes and we'll try to glean as much information as we can from other people. People have been down this road before, but eventually we've got to do this, you know, and uh, figure this out. And it's the same with, with walking with the Lord and, and moving in the gifts of the spirit. It's okay to try. And, By yourself, if you want to, you know, Um, let the Lord have his way with you and and do that. And, And so that's all Paul's saying. When you're together, you've got to be kind of organized with these things. So do the Psalms, do the teaching, do tongue, revelation, have an interpretation, let it all be done, but for the edification of everybody else, and then wait. Now here's what he says, verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. I don't know how you know that. Apparently, there's just some people you know have the gift of healings, or they have the gift of miracles, or the gift of teaching, or whatever, and some people have the gift of interpretation. You only know that from experience, though. They've interpreted before when tongues were spoken in public. You see? That's how it happens, Or you know you have that gift. But if that person isn't there, or you don't think that's happening, then you just need to stop. Don't do that anymore. Do that on your own. That's between you and God. Let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. In other words, a prophet doesn't just get to say, thus saith the Lord. And everybody say, well, it must be true. No, we can sit back and say, I don't think that's of God. I've had to do that at an afterglow before. Really awkward. Oh, it doesn't mean we stop having afterglows. It doesn't mean we stop having our worship nights. You know, we just have to be open to being corrected. You know? How did you know the prophecy was wrong? Because it was so condemning, it was so horrible, you know. And you could tell. You can tell when someone stands up and speaks from their flesh, and because they want you to hear them, they say at the end of it, "Thus saith the Lord." That doesn't mean it was the Lord. It just means you want us to give you a pass. No, we're to sit in judgment. When someone prophesies, the people listening get to judge the prophecy. It's biblical. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, both of them. So if you prophesy, stand by. You know, Thus saith the Lord. That doesn't mean don't question me. <laughs> that means you better be right. The Old Testament says we can throw rocks at you afterwards if you're wrong. Now, we don't do that anymore. But boy, those prophets were careful. If you weren't 100% accurate, you get stoned. And I I'd be very careful about that stuff. We don't do that today, but you get to be judged by the people. We can say, no, I don't think that's of the Lord. And Paul says that. When you do that, let others be judged. Now, this is putting um, a, a damper in the best sense of the word. A damper has a purpose in a, in a chimney. You change the damper, you change that. You change how much smoke, how much air is coming in and out of your furnace, and that keeps it at a, at a, at a low boil, basically, or at a, at a constant you know that's what a dampener does. You know you can open it wide up, and you're gonna have a lot of air, and you're gonna burn through your wood quickly. You can dampen it a little bit; it's gonna slow down the air and keep everything warm and let it burn consistently. That's what Paul's trying to do. They're wide open. You know, he says let's let's mm, let's just a little bit, two or three prophets, two or three prophets at the most, two or three tongues. Make sure you interpret. Mm, just tilting it a little bit. I don't want to shut it off. I don't want to throw water on it. I don't want to quench the spirit. We're just dampening. You get it. You get the idea. But if, any, if anything um, is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Wait your turn to prophesy. Don't interrupt. Don't overlap. For you can all prophesy one by one that you all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That simply means that you can't, I couldn't help myself. Well, then that's not God. Because he says specifically, the spirit of the prophet, the Holy Spirit, is subject in obedience to the person prophesying. I don't have to. That is, I think, the secret to why the gifts of the spirit don't move as freely and as organized as they're supposed to. It's because we are in charge of whether we're going to let the gifts of the spirit come out. You may be gifted, but you're not doing it. That's up to you. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to prophesy. You don't have to teach. You don't have to lay hands on people for healing. You don't have to do any of those things. That's up to you whether you follow through on those things or not. God really led me to go pray with that person, and I didn't. You can say no. Absolutely. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, tone it down, wait your turn, you know, go in order. He's by all means not saying stop. He's saying do it decently and in order. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Peace. It's supposed to be peaceful. It's supposed to be edifying, and you'll know the difference. You'll know the difference. That's probably one of the biggest indicators of whether it's of the Lord or not, is you'll have peace in your heart. I trust that all the time. You know, Jenny and I have to make decisions all the time about this farm and what we're gonna do. And sometimes we'll we'll get ahead of ourselves and we'll do something. We'll say, I don't have a piece about it, this doesn't feel right. We'll have to backtrack. You know? We got excited, we did something, eh, I don't think so. We just had to do that with a calf that we were gonna buy. And we said we it's not the right one. We're not supposed to do this. And we found another one. Now we're in the Valley of Decision again. I don't know if we should buy this bull or not. We gotta wait we have a peace about it. Then when we do, you shoot. God is the, the author of peace. He's not the author of confusion. And that's what the Corinthian church was known for. It was a confusing place for people to come. Please note that he says that everybody in the church is a saint. I don't have to say that hopefully to everybody, but you do understand that a saint is someone who believes in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. The sainthood that is bestowed upon people from certain denominations is not biblical. You wouldn't believe how far it goes. Um, I don't want to take a lot of time on it, but the idea that some people are saints and some people aren't that are in Christianity is very erroneous. It's a horrible teaching because the, it started off with, it's a scale situation. They did so many good works in their life. They did so much extra to get into heaven that they, we give them sainthood, and now all that extra that they didn't need to get into heaven can now be given by the leader of the church to those who didn't do enough good works. And guess what? It costs money. I mean, it's absolutely contrary to Scripture. Every one of you is a saint. St. Laurie, it's a great name. St. Tanner, St. Aubrey, I love this. St. J.D., whether you like it or not. I'm in the group. You're a saint. All the churches of the saints. <laughs> I've been waiting to get to this one. 34 and 35, you women, listen up. Shh, you're supposed to be quiet. Let your women keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak. I'm just going to leave that right there. they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husband at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in churches. Amen. Oh, no, you're not a woman, you can do whatever you want. She can. Let me, he means what he says. He means that. And it's right, but it's not what you think. It's not like women shouldn't be heard. It's remember what we're talking about here. Keep it in context. The church is chaotic. Everybody's doing everything all the time. I'm gonna I'm not gonna look at anybody when I say this, so I'm gonna turn around. But when we're worshiping and singing songs, and you're talking to each other, whispering to each other while we're singing. It's very distracting. I can't worship because I want to know what you're talking about. I'm an eavesdropper. It's very distracting. Refrain from that. Why? Because we're trying to worship God and you're stealing the attention away from God and onto yourself. Now, a lot of churches do that. I grew up in a a church like that. We could talk all the time. Didn't make any difference. And nobody cared because nobody was worshiping. They're just singing the hymns because that's what we do. We're on stanza number four. Da, 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 da. Close the book, put it away. Whew, hate that song, you know. Nobody's worshiping. But the whispering and the, and the little Bible studies that go on during the Bible study in the back rows with each other is very distracting. Now, I'm bringing this up because that's what was happening in the church. Paul was concerned in this day and age. And maybe we should bring this back. I don't know. Women sat on the right. And men sat on the left of the church. They would separate. When they got, you go to a synagogue today, a Jewish synagogue, guess what? You're not sitting with your husband. It's the same thing. You sit on opposite sides, right? And all the guys have yarmulkes on, or I think that's what they're called, a little skull cap. And uh, believe it or not, you all have to wear them. And that's what they would do. So imagine this. You're teaching, and Jenny yells across, What would he say, J.D.? Shh. You know? And this is happening. This is going on in the church. All this confusion. He says, Be quiet when you want to learn and you don't understand something, ask your husband at home. Wait till you get home to do that. If you want to whisper and you want to have a Bible study, it's more important than the teaching that's happening up here. Go out to your car. If you walk out there during a church service, you think this middle ground is a place where you can have conversations and coffee? It's not. It's a place for people to go so they can hear their kids or go to the cry room or go to the bathroom and not disturb everybody by coming back in the doors and stomping up to the front row and everybody stops listening to the teaching and watches everybody walk to the front of the row. It's order. It's decent. It's polite. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's not saying women can't talk. Women have the gift of prophecy, the scriptures tell us. You know, keep it in context. Paul's trying to bring order to this. Stop yelling back and forth. What he said was, now, I don't believe it either. I mean, can you imagine? It's horrible. Now, let me put you, give you some scriptures, though, that will maybe go along with the way you first read it. Because he's not too far off. Not that women are supposed to be quiet, but scriptures are very clear about an order in the family and an order in the church. And husbands are, whether you like it or not, you're the high priest of your home. And your wife ought to be able to come to you and ask you questions, spiritual questions, and you need to give them answers. And if you don't know the answer, you can tell them, I don't know the answer, but then it's your responsibility to find out the answer to teach your wife, to share with her. If those roles are reversed, it's wrong. It's wrong. Now, what that causes us to do as men is to step up. You know, I have that. We have that conversation a lot with people. It's very common because the roles have been reversed. Our society has been telling us for years that there's no distinction between men and women. You can see it coming to its fruition right now. The world doesn't know what a man and a woman are. They don't know it. They don't get it. And somewhere along the line, the church has adopted some of it, and they don't realize what they've done to God's word. They've made God a liar. Um. So let me read you some scriptures. It's Ephesians 5. I use this for weddings a lot of time. I'm asked to use this for weddings a lot of time. I don't just force it on people. They get to choose their scriptures. But Ephesians five twenty two. wives, submit to your own husbands. Is that a hard statement for you? It shouldn't be. Submit to your own husbands. You don't have to submit to other people's husbands, but you do submit to your own husbands. As for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, And he is the Savior of the body. Paul is bringing in, and even in this letter to the Ephesians, order. The Ephesians church doesn't know what a Christian marriage looks like. Paul is teaching them. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Oh, my wife, she's a battle axe. You know, you might say she's just constantly nagging. And then are you washing her with the word of God? Well, no, she won't listen to me. You got to share the word of God. You got to be the high priest of your home. You need to take that spiritual leadership in your home. Don't. Get, she's used to running it on her own. She's used to doing her own thing. She's used to having to do it because you won't. She will walk with Jesus, whether you're going to lead her or not. And if you're not leading her in the ways of the Lord, you're causing her and forcing her to do this on her own. She doesn't respect you because you don't respect Jesus. Respect Jesus. We're called to that as husbands. I guarantee you guys, if you do 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, do those verses. It'll change your life. you will change your marriage. Do those things. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You can see why we use this for a wedding. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So if you were offended by 34 and 35 and think that can't possibly mean what it means, well, there's other scriptures that do hit awfully close to that. And please understand, they're true. It's true. To think that you can have your marriage any other way than the biblical prescription for it, it's a recipe for disaster. You will coexist. You'll be roommates. You may be partners. But you will not represent a Christian marriage if you're not doing it this way. This is the way to do it. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, so that gives you that, you don't have that out. Even those who don't obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. You want to witness to people? I feel like I have the gift of evangelism. Evangelize your lost husband then. And here's how you do it quietly. When they observe, these unbelieving husbands observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, not fear of them, but the fear of the Lord. Do not let your adornment or what you wear be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. It's beautiful to God. You're called to that. You're freed up from that. The world has placed upon you, women, way too much. Way too much. It is not your responsibility to carry this world. You've got way too much on your plate as it is. And the fact that men are sitting back and not doing what they're called to do in your life for you and causing you to carry that burden also along with all the other things you're required to do, it's too much for you. God's never placed those things upon you. The world has. And it's wrong and it's unfair. And it's not liberating. It's binding. It shackles you. Verse 5 is my favorite. And 6. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. (laughs) No, there's a lot of giggling. Like, I can't imagine. Jenny from now on. (laughs) She would, though. It's It's funny. But Paul's bringing up a very serious moment here. Why can't you do that? Why can't you? He's not Lord worthy. Okay. God is looking at your heart, not at his. Guys, God is looking at your heart, not at hers. Our responsibility is to do what God's called us to do. Imagine what would happen if we obeyed these things and didn't take the world's advice on these things. Imagine. It's so archaic. It's so, it's so outdated. Not till recently. Not till very recently have we outdated these things. We cause these things to be old news. And from the moment we cause these things in our society to be old news is the decline that we're seeing right now. It's from that. It's from that. Men are supposed to love their wives like Jesus loves the church, which means he allows the church to crucify him. He serves. He washes feet. He makes sure they're taken care of. If he needs prayer, if he needs alone time, he makes sure that everybody else is asleep and taken care of, and then he has his time. He doesn't abandon his family for hobbies. That's a child. That's what a child does. Nope. Men wait till ever, Men are supposed to do that, and when men do that, a woman can. Okay, how hard would it be? To, well, I can obey Jesus. That's what I hear all the time. I can obey Jesus. Of course I can. He's always looking out for my best interest. He's always loving me. He's caring for me. I know what he's done for me in the past. He's died for my sin. Exactly. Guys, we can make it easier or hard for our wives to fulfill their calling upon their life that God has placed there. We can make it easier hard on them. But ladies, on the other side, it doesn't mean that we're still not called to those things. Whether it's easy or hard. I'll leave that there. I took that opportunity. I'd, it's called springboarding. You're not supposed to do that when you teach. But I, I sprung board a little bit there off of 34 and 35. 36, and we'll finish up here. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was, was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual... Let him acknowledge that the things which I wrote to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Do you know what he said there? Okay, if anybody in there says you're spiritual, make sure they say that my letters to you are awesome. I like that. He's not not afraid to say it. Because if you've got people in your church that are afraid to say that the letters I write to you right now are not of God, then they're not of God. And they're not walking with the Lord. Paul was so sure of what he was writing and what he knew about God that he says, anybody that you can use my letter as a litmus test for those who are spiritual in your church. It's a big deal. I think it's still litmus today. If there is anybody in any church that doesn't think that the first Corinthian letter is for today, then they're not spiritual. Verse 39, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. What a perfect summation. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We do. We really love it. We want to be straightened out. We don't come here knowing everything. We come here knowing nothing and ask you to come into our lives and teach us like a Corinthian church or like an Ephesian church. What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of yours? And so we you place ourselves at your feet to learn of you from your word. Change us now. Help us to just receive with gladness what you've given to us tonight, to apply it to our lives, and to let you do an awesome work. To restore marriages, to bring order into our lives and into our fellowship here, and to this, to our towns that we're from, to our spheres of influence, Lord. Help us to bring order as we follow you and walk with you. We love you. Bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.